Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team from baseball's top personalities the great chris russo joins us once again to the game's top players joining us is the all-star matt chapman with us you never know what stories you're going to hear if you make your way down here i, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great chris townsend this is a's unfiltered with chris townsend Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's going to be all broadcasters on this edition. You're going to get your TV face, Glenn Kuyper, Sarah Langs that you see on MLB Network and writes for MLB.com, and Melanie Newman, one of only four women to call play-by-play, and she works for the Baltimore Orioles. But we'll start with our buddy, G. Kuype. G. Kuype, how are you? Uncle Townie, what's going on? I think you gotta love ten straight, eleven of twelve. You know, you know, we knew they were gonna have to crawl out of that zero and six hole. Did you ever think it'd be this fast? No, no, and I mean, you know, you, yeah. Listen, I mean, yeah, you don't like to start that way, but you know the team is good, and you know that they're gonna at some point get to five hundred. But they just blew past it. I mean, now they're eleven and seven and in first place, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I was I was thinking about it on the way in, Tony. You, you know, when when a really talented team starts clicking on all cylinders like the A's are, well, that, you know what? Then they're going to win seven, eight, nine in a row, and they're going to win 16, 17 out of 20. You know, if, if an average team clicks on all cylinders, they'll win, you know, five or six in a row. But the A's got a lot of talent, and when they play well, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't be surprised that that this is happening right now because there's just there's too many good players on this squad. Yeah, something clicked with the starting pitching. Like all of a sudden, yep. everybody yep. and and uh, the when Shamanaya two starts ago talked about you know pitching with conviction. All of a sudden, yeah. eight starters are seven and zero with a two point zero nine ERA over the last ten games. Just talk about what you've been seeing with the starters because obviously they flip some type of switch. Yeah, I, I I do I do think winning streaks generally start with good starting pitching, and then that gets kind of rolling a little bit, and the guys kind of feed off each other, um, and and I think that's what happens as far as the starters go. But again, this is a this is a good group of starters, you know. So so it wasn't it wasn't going to struggle as a group, you know, a, a real long time. Uh, but I do think once couple guys throw good games and then the next guy well you don't want to be the guy that doesn't throw a good game right so that starts clicking and then and, and, and I I felt it at the time and, and I'm going to 
stick with this. I think the biggest hit of the year so far, the one that really, I think, got it going was uh, Matt Olson's home run in Houston in game two of that series. Um, that was a, a, a Friday game. They had lost Thursday. Olsen hits a home run late, puts them in the lead. They win the game. That was the start of this winning streak. That was game one of the 10-game winning streak. So I think they were also kind of searching for a big hit, hadn't really got it yet, and then they got the big hit from Olsen. And, and uh, that, to me, has been clearly the biggest hit so far of the season. You know, all these years working at the Coliseum, and ever since they built Mount Davis – so you got flags down the left field line. You got flags down the right field line. And then you got the flags in center field. And I've noticed all these years, whether it's A's or Raiders, how the flags are never going in the same direction. And you have your new toy now that's showing yeah. us that the wind is just chaotic there at the Coliseum. And now you understand why, like the ball last night, Marcana catches at the wall. Yeah. Well, if the wind was different, would that ball go out? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a new thing we have on our, on our uh, telecast, which kind of shows not only, uh, you know, kind of the swirling of the wind and it's all over the place, but it, it, it really gives us from what we have learned a very accurate number of how, uh, how much is the, the wind knocking the ball down in left field? How much is it helping it? How much is it knocking the ball down in center and in right? Or is it helping it? And what we're learning Townie is, um, is sometimes, you know, it'll help in right field or left field at the beginning of the game, and then it'll hurt it at the at later in the game. So it really switches. Um, so it's it's a pretty cool thing that we've been doing. We're we're excited about it because I think it, I think it's a great story. It 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 tells us it tells a story about not just the game but the Coliseum, right? Uh, and you know, and those flags. They, I've always been skeptical of looking at the flags because they're 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 situated right in that that wind tunnel. Um, just a little opening between Mount Davis and the, and the round part of the stadium. So it's going to get weird, windy coming through there no matter what. Whereas I think the stuff that we're getting now, the information is much more accurate because it's, it's really telling us what, what part of the stadium is the ball getting knocked down? When is that happening? And how much is it changing during the game? So I think it's super cool. And we've had a lot of fun with it and, and we're going to continue to use it. So um, it's kind of a story within the game. And, hey, Canna catches the ball at the wall last night. You know, I want to find out what was going on with the wind at that point. And, and we can almost do that, right? So, so it's, it's fun. It's fun. We've had a lot of, a, a lot of interesting uh, conversation about it, and we will continue to do that. Yeah, Delaire sent me the information. Weather Applied Metrics. You can go to weatheralliedmetrics.com and check it yeah. out. And I remember when I came in to talk to you about it originally, Jed Lowry hit that double, but the wind was blowing in and he hit it off the yeah. wall. If it wasn't blowing in, that ball's out. Well, we also have we're able to have information and, and graphics that that obviously show what happened to the ball, show if it got knocked down, and we can also show where it where they think it would have landed how much further it would have gone if there was no weather conditions no wind right just just solid you know uh, the the wind isn't affecting anything and and our information was that uh, no wind effect the ball would have went out but the wind effect at the time he hit it was knocking it down about i think it was 7 to 8 feet 
in right center field, right where he hit it. So that tells you it, you know, and we can graphically show where the ball would have went with no wind and where it ended up going with the wind. And in this case, the wind was knocking it down. So it sounds kind of complicated, but it's, uh, you know, when you see it and then we were able to show it graphically, uh, it really tells a pretty good story. And it really speaks to why a guy like Mike Fires is so successful at the Coliseum because as a flight, you know, most places you don't want to be a fly ball pitcher, but if you're a fly uh-huh. ball pitcher at the Coliseum and we now know all the time that the wind in center field and right field is blowing in, it, it, it kind of tells you the story of why a guy like Mike Fires has been so good at the Oakland Coliseum. Yeah. And, and well, yeah, as long as, as long as the wind is blowing in, but you know, you almost need to check it every couple innings now because we have had it in a game Tony, where it was blowing in at the beginning of the game in right field. And by the fifth and sixth inning, it was, it was blown out, you know, which is hard to figure out. I, you know, it, I think it, it, it sort of, you know, gets in the bowl and, and swirls around a little bit, kind of a tornado effect. Um, but it's crazy. It makes you wonder, is this something that, that a pitcher should should check during the game. Who knows? You know, I don't know. But it 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 it, it is interesting, and it's been a lot of fun. You know, you you've been traveling the uh, around with Bob Melvin for a long time, and, and you know, talking about yesterday where he passes Tony Larusa for the most games managed in Oakland A's history, and you think back to 2011 when Bob showed up, and he was just an interim manager. And yep. it was later when they made it a permanent deal. I know you know him real well. Just talk about, you know, how Bob Melvin has been the perfect fit for this franchise. Well, you know what he has. And I think, I think, I think a part of it, I, I, listen, he's a great manager. I mean, I, I, I knew he was a pretty good manager before, but, but now that you see him, I never realized that he was this good. I mean, he's terrific. He's as good as any manager in the game, I think. But I think the reason why it's, he's kind of special for the A's is that he, you know, he's from the Bay area. He grew up here. So he understands the organization. He understands the fan base. He understands uh, the culture of the A's and the culture of the fan base and the culture of the Bay area. And I think that's important. Um, So you kind of put that all together. He understands the history of the A's. He wears six because of Sal Bando. So you put all that stuff together, and, and to me, that's what makes it such a great fit. That and the fact that he's a really, really good manager. And, Tony, one of my favorite stories is on that first day that he took over the A's, we were in Chicago, kind of a crazy night. We got really late, and he, and he was there. He was there, and he was looking at the back of the uniforms of his players because he didn't know who some of the guys were. Cause it was his first day as the A's manager. And he, he told me, he said, yeah, he said, I'm checking backs of uniforms to see who's who. And this is the team I got to manage. So obviously, obviously he picked it up pretty quickly, but uh, he's a good guy. He's a lot of fun to talk to. You know, he's a serious guy, you know, he's, you know, he's here to win ball games, but uh, he's a good solid man. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm friends with him. You know, it's been funny. The media lately is really into like the superstitions that, you know, because Bob is like the most superstitious guy ever. Yes. And then now yeah. Jesus Lazardo bringing back the goggles. When you were a player and you were in the minor leagues, did you have any superstitions? Uh, no, none of them worked. That's why. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't get anything going. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, just, 
dirty undershirt. No, that ain't working. You know, same underwear. That's not working. Same sock. That's not working. So no, you know what? I, I did not. I, I'm not a terribly superstitious person. I'm really not. Um, so no, I didn't, but I know some guys do and they take it serious and Bob is very serious about it. And, you know, I respect that. That's fine. It's just, it's not something that, that I've ever really got too worked up about. Yeah, I'm like, you know what? If you believe it, keep doing it. Because I mean, yeah, obviously, mentally, right. it's it. I mean, I, I I've only really had one in my life, and that's a Bloody Mary before I tee off is my superstition. Um, How many? But yeah, I've never, I've never <laughs> like, I gotta wear the certain set of sleeves, or I gotta have these socks. Yeah, but if yeah. you believe that, no. hey, look at Jesus Lazardo last night. He looked a hell of a that's lot right. better than he did against Arizona. It's all about the goggles, baby. Riding the wave. <laughs> right? like, isn't it amazing i mean in your career how things have changed where everybody like that i noticed the dodgers every single time they get a hit they like shake their hands i mean everybody's oh, got yeah. these new yeah. thing because that wasn't like it when you first started no no well there was none of no there 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 was none of that stuff and now everybody's got a got some signal they do and you know there's back into the dugout yeah there's there's a lot going on I think it. I think a lot of it is, Tony. It's just guys having fun. You know, they just they want to have fun. They're together a lot. You know, seven eight months together. I, I just think it. They they do these these silly things just just for entertainment. Which you know what I, I'm I'm all good with. I mean, you watch our starters in the dugout and other playing the thumb game, which is the big thing now, and it's funny and it's they love it. You know, so hey, whatever you need to do to to get through a a, a long season, I'm all for it. Let's end on this. You know, you've spent a good part of your career traveling around the country. And what what has it been like for you that you haven't traveled? You're not traveling anytime soon. You're still going to be calling games off of a monitor once they leave town. What's that been like? Um, you know what? I Listen, the, the, calling the games, we're in the studio at NBC over in San Francisco. Um, it's fine. You know, it, it's a comfortable situation. Is it is it easy to call games off the monitor? No, not really. And I and I think what you miss even more is you just miss the atmosphere of being at the ballpark. You know, somebody hits home run, you don't really hear a lot. You know, so it's kind of strange there. So you have to push yourself a little bit from a, a excitement level because you just don't. You, there's nothing to to, to push you. Uh, but calling the games off the monitor, we're we're pretty used to it now. It's not perfect, but but you know, it's it's fine. I don't think the fans really notice, and that's the most important thing. Um, do I miss traveling? Um, sometimes yes, more often no, I don't. I, you know, I like being home. I like being home with my wife and kids. I like going home after the game. Um, so no, I mean, when it if we travel again and, and when that happens, I don't know. But if and when it does, that's fine. I'll be ready to go. But but I, I don't I don't you know have a big Jones for for traveling because um, you're gone a lot, you know, a lot of buses, a lot of planes and we get treated great, but you are gone a lot. So uh, no, I don't miss it, but if we have to do it again, then, then that's fine. That's, that's part of the job. So, uh, but we're, we're, we're good this year and we'll see what happens as the season goes on. I can tell you who misses me not traveling. That's my wife. Absolutely. Well, yes, cause you're crazy. You drive her crazy. 
<laughs> right? She's like, when you when are you leaving? I'm like, yep, not anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, that may be the same thing in my house too. But oh well, what can you do? All right, buddy. Have a great call today. Right, we'll you. talk soon. Be have well. A good one. All right, Tony. Good talking to you, buddy. If you're not following Sarah Langs on Twitter, well, shame on you because she is the very best. And you see her on MLB Network, and also she writes for MLB.com. It's always great to catch up with Sarah in New York. It's great to see you on the computer. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I love that, you know, like this is a good thing that we've gotten from the pandemic is that now when we do these podcasts and stuff, we see each other, right? This always used to be on our phones. We would never have this face-to-face kind of interaction. Now I get to see your smiling face, you know? Well, it, the last time we saw you was on the field in Oakland. I know. Oh my gosh. That feels like 20 lifetimes ago at this point, doesn't it? Oh, so I took my kids, my wife and kids to the game on Saturday That's and I got done doing pregame. And I walked down into the stands, and it was so odd. It was the first time I'd been in the stands since the 2019 wild card game. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I have only, I was the 2019 playoffs was the last time I was in any ballpark. That's, I was there and then with you guys. And then I was at Yankee Stadium when they played the Twins for like two games. And I have not been in a major league ballpark since. So, I can't even imagine what that moment was like. So I know in your world, everyone around you is panicking about the Yankees. (laughs) I just wonder, you realize on April 9th, the A's were one and seven and had the worst record in baseball. Since then, we've done 10 straight and we're tied for first place. Is anybody in the Northeast paying attention to our beloved green and gold? I mean, I certainly am, but I think that it's a great little uh, story and lesson for those panicking Yankees fans. So we need you to talk to some of them to remind them to keep the faith that their team is going to be okay. But I've absolutely loved watching this turnaround. I mean, this team is so much fun to watch, as you know, and I mean, that that bad start didn't feel like them. I know that there are certainly some question marks with the team, and there still are, and there were entering the year, but it just felt like every single thing that could go wrong went wrong. And we know that baseball has its way of evening out, and that didn't feel like what we were going to see over the course of the year. Now, I do think at some point they may lose another game, unfortunately. I'm sorry to say. What? But I said it. I said it. You know, I do research. I, we haven't seen a, uh, you know, 100 plus game win streak before other than from like what the UConn women. But uh, they've been great to watch. This has been just such an exciting streak. Yeah. I mean, during this 10 game winning streak, I mean, you want to talk about beating up people. They've outscored the opposition 58 to 21 going yeah. into today's game. Obviously, we're doing this interview as they're taking on the Minnesota Twins, and we're going to play this on A's Cast Live after the game. But, I mean, that's a lot of runs. 58 runs in 10 games? That's a ton. Yeah, it's a ton. I mean, it's been it's just been a great, great stretch to watch, and I think that this is what we knew this offense could be capable of, especially with healthy Matt Chapman and Matt Olson doing what he's doing and just so many different contributions. So, you know, I again, I – think that the true team is somewhere in between, but I think it's closer to this win streak good team than to the team that we saw in those first eight games of the year. Now I'm thoroughly enjoying the Yankees being bad. <laughs> I, I I love that. I mean, that just, that gives me a smile on my face every single time I wake up, you know, they rely, you know, they're relying on a lot of guys that are coming back from injuries 
and you know it, it just hasn't worked out. So, so what is it like there in New York? Well. I think you hit the nail on the head with the injuries. You know, we knew entering the year that this was a high risk, high reward ro uh, rotation that they had put together with Corey Kluber, with Jameson Tyone, with, you know, Luis Severino due back at some point. Domingo Herman hasn't pitched in basically a year plus uh, at this point when he started pitching for them this year. So there were a lot of question marks. And, you know, unfortunately for them, those concerns have kind of come to fruition. And, that's what I'm sure that they were prepared for. They knew this was a potential option, you know, something that could happen, but it's just, you know, unfortunate to see Kluber always gets off to slow starts. He's kind of notorious for that, but even still the fact that he has not gone even remotely deep into a game is more uncharacteristic, even of his slow starts. So we'll see what happens, but the concern for me and the part that I do think will work itself out is the offense. I mean, they're hitting 208 right now, which is tied for their second worst through 16 games in this season. And we're talking about the Yankees who have had really, really good seasons, but also had a lot of lean years, you know, and the fact that the only year that they had a lower batting average through this many games was in 1968 when nobody could hit it was the year of the pitcher. And then they, you know, changed the mound. So you know, that part gives me some concern. You want to see Judge and Stanton and Sanchez kind of all going at the same time. And that just hasn't, they're playing at the same time, but they're not playing like the guys that we know, you know. I'm shocked uh, they haven't been on the uh, IL already. Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing is that I know entering the year, my thought was if they have a healthy Judge and Stanton, even taking Sanchez aside, I mean, that's part of the key to success here. And it's interesting. I mean, Judge did miss some time, but they've played, they've homered in the same game at least once this year. And I mean, they're 8-0 when those guys both homer in the same game, when you include the postseason, just in their careers since Stanton got to New York in 2018. And that tells me all you need to know. You just need them both to be hot at the same time, and you're going to win ball games. All right. Cody has sent me a <laughs> new stat. Um, <laughs> Most swings slash take runs in yep. 2021. What what the hell is that? <laughs> yes. So this is just something, a leaderboard I've been looking at every morning. And I noticed Jed Lowry on the list. So I sent it to him. You know, maybe we could get into this. So maybe it sounds complicated. But basically what this is, is it's a stat that's quantifying plate discipline. So every single pitch that comes in is given a run value. So run values are not going to be one, two, three. Those are fractions, right? They're going to be decimal points. And altogether, when you put that together, you get this number, which is essentially rewarding you for swinging at a certain pitch or not swinging a certain pitch, taking a pitch. It's considering the count. It's considering the situation. So all of that, I'm, I'm not getting into the 0.1.3, any of that. All I'm seeing here is that the players on this list, so I'll read it off. We have Ronald Acuna Jr. and J.D. Martinez are tied for the league lead at plus 14. We have Vlad Guerrero Jr. at plus 10, Justin Turner plus 9, and then Bryce Harper and Jed Lowry at plus 8. And all this is saying is these guys are making really good decisions based on the pitches that they're seeing and where those pitches are. So this is going to give a lot of credit for swinging at a really good pitch and for being very careful with pitches that are right on the edge of the zone that could be framed, could be not, if you let it pass, all of that. Well, Cody is the king of cliches, and he would call Jed Lowry a professional hitter. Exactly. I mean, this that is what this stat is saying, you know? This is 
we're not trying to reinvent the wheel with any of these stats. I feel like we've had this conversation before too. You know, we're just kind of trying to quantify or describe the things we're seeing on the field. And the fact that you say that, even if it's Cody's cliche or whatever else, (laughs) is just telling you that, hey, you're seeing that. And then I'm just giving you a number that says, hey, by the way, he's not just a professional hitter, but he's ranking up there with some of the best professional hitters in the majors right now. Well, I I had to remind Cody, everybody gets paid. So technically, they're all professional hitters. (laughs) Um, I I, I, I got a buddy, Rob, who lives in New York, who's just furious. He's like, I can't. And he's a Mets fan. He's like, we got two years of Jed Lowry with only seven at-bats, never played. And in the first week of the season, he plays more with the A's than he ever did with the Mets. And if you're a Mets fan and you're looking at what Jed Lowry's doing, it's got to shock you how good he has been. It's, it's, it's Sarah, it's crazy. It's like he never left. He barely did, right? He only had a couple of plate appearances with the Mets. So in a way, he really didn't ever leave. But I mean, I don't know. For me, as just a fan of baseball as a whole, you just love to see a guy find his groove again, especially after multiple injuries, not playing for essentially two years, minus a couple of plate appearances like this is that fairy tale story that you want to see. I'm not expecting him to win an MVP, but he's on a team that's really hot right now. He's contributing, and that's what should be happening. And, you know, people people say what they say about New York and different markets and anything else, but ultimately I think it's just, you know, he's healthy again. It's clicking for him at the right time. But I, I'm certainly glad to see it for him. You know, I'm sure Mets fans will always chuckle a little when they think of his name, but ultimately, you know, just good to see his career going on. I cringe that I have this thought and I'm going to ask you this question, but I have to ask you it. Two big surprises, the Red Sox and the Giants. Oh God, it's all my makes me want to throw up in my mouth, but it is real. Your mom's Giants. And we thought that, you know, we were laughing at Heim Bloom calling them the, the Boston Rays because they're, they're not operating like the Red Sox. And both these teams have gotten out to good starts. Definitely. I mean, I, you know, I'm, as we say this, the Giants were losing and I was about to say that, but now the game is tied. As you were talking to me, they just tied the game on Darren Ruff home run. So um, just overall, I mean, I think for the Giants, I think that a lot of people, especially people who um, are really deep in numbers, stats, whatever you want to say, knew that the Giants were and are building something pretty good here. I don't think anyone expected them to really seriously compete this year. And we'll see. I mean, maybe they could be in the running for a wild card. I don't think that's entirely outside the realm of possibility. But when you look at the pitching acquisitions that they made, especially in the offseason, it's very clear how intentional Farhan Zaidi is with these guys that he's acquiring in terms of things like movement, pitch usage, just, you know, every team is looking at these things. But a lot of the guys like a Jake McGee and a Matt Whistler are like, that's a kind of stack house guy in a way. And I think that these are also guys who have always been very intriguing and maybe not used in exactly the right way. So seeing them here, I think, is very encouraging with Gabe Kapler. Again, I don't know exactly where their true talent lies. I mean, their offense is still kind of predicated on some older guys, you know, Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, Brendan Belt. But, uh, you know, they've been pretty good so far, some back and forth games, but definitely, uh, you know, they had a comeback yesterday and they are in the midst of one today. The Red Sox feel so much like the manager and no disrespect to Ron Renicki, but I mean, not that much changed year to year. If you look at the roster from last year, to this year, obviously from two years ago to last year, there's big change with Mookie Betts, but this year there's not that much of a change. 
And I really think that Alex Cora just really speaks to those guys and is absolutely getting the most out of them. And again, that's not Ron Renicki's fault. I'm not saying that he wasn't doing a good job with them, but I just think that this it's is okay. really Cora's team. It's okay. You can say, no offense, but you stink and this guy's better. I don't know that he stinks. I just think that that group was so used to Alex Cora and really knew how to work with him. And I think that it was just disorienting last year for a lot of reasons. And I think that that kind of all just came to a head. I also don't know that I have the Red Sox winning the division, even after this hot start. I mean, I still look at that pitching and think, really? First place? I mean, they have a positive run differential. They're like plus 20-something. So it's not like the Mariners leading their division with a negative run differential there. Um, or maybe they're not even leading anymore after last night. But you know what I mean. Um, at least there's a little bit more basis there, but I'm just not fully sold. Yeah, we were so bad <laughs> that we were minus 37. Entered today at minus three because, once again, we scored 58 runs in 10 games. But it was so bad, but hopefully we'll get over into the plus side. So yes. I, I've been talking to with Cody about this and also in the postgame show. When the Minnesota Twins came down with COVID in their Tier 1, Tier 1's the traveling party, and they put those guys in their hotel rooms down in Anaheim, and they didn't play the last two games of their series – I brought it up saying, hey, listen, I understand. So we didn't play on Monday. We played the doubleheader yesterday. But I said, if it's going through their clubhouse, just because they've tested now not positive in Anaheim and they flew up here to Oakland, well, we now have had a twin test positive up here. And and they took that that, that guy out, and we don't know who it is, but you know that's why you have the, the traveling taxi squad. But, man, it is really scary because you could test positive and you could test negative down in Anaheim, have it, and then once you get up here, now you test positive. I mean, we're still dealing with some heavy stuff with COVID. Absolutely, and I think that's the takeaway here, and I'm glad you said it that way. Is just that I think that there's – and this is me speaking from – what my mom would want me to say right now, not to say I don't feel it as well, but my mom, an infectious disease doctor would definitely want this message to be out there that just because people are getting vaccines, which is great. And everyone who is able to should absolutely get one. doesn't mean we're out of the woods with this. And I do think that that's really important to keep in mind, you know, whether within the midst of vaccination, shot one, shot two, not those two weeks out yet, or whatever else it might be. There's just, you know, we're not at a point where we've reached that herd immunity just as a country yet. And I think that that's really important to keep in mind. I mean, you know, I see I'm so glad there are fans in the stands at these games just because I love hearing it in the background. But, you know, you want to make sure that people are being safe and that goes far beyond sports just into what people are doing outside and on a daily basis. So it's very it's very scary. And, you know, you just hope that everyone is okay. Cause I'm thinking outside of the realm of baseball of what happened with the Vancouver Canucks over the last few weeks when they had the, I believe it was the Brazilian strain, which is much more infectious. And there were, I mean, reports of uh, team trainers having to go over to guys' houses to give them IVs and some really, really scary stuff. And I'm not trying to scare anybody, but you know, just worth keeping in mind, this is still really out there. Well, and, and think about it. If you're the opposing team, like the A's today, you're taking on a team that, well, you thought they were out of the woods and now they've had to replace a player. I mean, I, I, we, we're not able to really talk to the players, but I mean, if it was me, 
I would be a little little leery if I'm playing first base and and you know you're you're next to a guy from the opposing team. I mean, that's kind of the problem. We don't we we want to think everybody's doing everything they can to be safe, but you don't know what everybody's doing. Yeah, and you can do everything to be safe and still get it. I mean, that's the you know truth. So I, I you know I, I can't even imagine you know the feelings of anybody involved in this from any side. Um, so, you know, we'll see what all continues to happen, but, uh, you know, I'm sure that being that opposing team certainly, you know, strikes some concern, but I think you just have to have faith in the protocols that are set up. There's so much that is going on in terms of contact tracing and monitoring and testing frequently. So, you know, hopefully that's enough. We're certainly in a better spot than, you know, I mean, think about this time last year when take baseball out of it, nobody could even get a test, you know? at least we're able to test these guys. What is it every other day? Um, and, you know, hopefully keep people safe that way. Um, let's end on this. And Captain Panic, who is is Cody, is already claiming that Fernando Tatis Jr. and that contract is a bust. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm watching oh, his yeah. face right now. Oh, my gosh. No, oh, not yeah. at all. First of all, he has an injury. He's clearly playing with an injury. They're trying to figure out whether he's going to need surgery after the season or not. So, first of all, I hope we're not knocking him for playing injured during the first year of this contract because Cody, absolutely Cody, not. Cody, I mean, what, what do you say to this? I mean, the guy's gutting it out. She's saying how tough he is, and you're panicking. <laughs> if you're a Padres fan, you have to be panicking right now. I mean – you're, you're, you couldn't beat the Pirates. You're struggling against the Brewers. I mean, Corbin Burns is unbelievable in the 40 strikeouts and no walks on the year. But if you're a fan of Nando, the cover boy of MLB The Show 21, I just bought it last night, uh, you got to be panicking a little bit if you're a Padres fan. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I understand. I understand. I'm glad to, get, glad to get to hear from Cody on the show. But, I mean – Fernando Tatis Jr. is a really, really good player. And I think whenever he is fully healthy, we will see all of that. I mean, he was already, he's had his electric moments. He came back in his first day back, he homered, you know, and we, you can see with his swing, he's keeping two hands on the bat, even in his follow through, there's like a legitimate difference in what he's doing. So I'm, I'm sure that's quite an adjustment, but I am absolutely not ready to say any of this is a bust. I mean, he has so many great years, so many postseason appearances, I'm sure ahead of him in San Diego. Well, as we are doing this, Matt Olson has okay. just gone yard against the Twins to make it 1-1. He came into today. Since April 9th, he's hitting 355, four home runs, 11 RBIs in the last nine games. And now he just adds another home run. I'm telling you right now, Sarah, if I had to bet on one of the A's to, to win an MVP coming up here in the next few years, I'm putting my money on Matt Olson. This kid, I, he he's staring like a, a 50 home run, 130 RBI, gold gloved type season because he's so good at first base. I, I don't know how much you've gotten to watch him, but Matt Olson is special. Absolutely. I love watching him hit home runs. He hits these moonshots, you know, these really high launch angle uh, home runs, and they're so much fun to watch. I mean, I remember early in the year last year, he had like, I forget what it was, but like his first five hits of the year were all home runs. And that was kind of the concern was just that, you know, he's not getting those other hits. Um, but obviously this year and over the course, especially of this win streak, we've seen more of that, not just home runs, but just hitting overall. And I think that's really encouraging. But I like that you mentioned the defense because when you were saying, you know, him as a potential MVP candidate, that's the first thing that I thought of is that he 
you know, we, we think about first base MVPs and yeah, that power and then playing your position really, really well. And you have that corner duo, you know, in the infield winning, winning gold gloves. And I think either of those guys are potential MVP candidates down the road, but I think people already kind of put Matt Chapman in that conversation. And so Olsen is a little bit closer to your dark horse kind of candidate, even though they're both outstanding players. Well, it is wonderful to see you stay dry there in New York and safe. And uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. And I when, when's your next appearance on MLB network? Oh my gosh. I was just on yesterday, actually. Um, so I'm not sure, not sure the next one, but I appreciate you asking. You are the best. Take care. Thank you so much. So great to chat with you. And next up, we got Melanie Newman, who's just one of four women to be calling play-by-play in Major League Baseball. And we're going to cover the Orioles and the Athletic Series. Well, thank you so much for the time before you got to call a game tonight. How are you? We are doing well. Uh, the the report now is Austin Hayes, our outfielder, said there won't be rain until after the fifth inning. So, <laughs> are we looking at rain tonight? We I know that's a curse word in these parts, but we we are looking at some not great weather tonight. Oh, that is bad. You know, for, for a guy that works all around the broadcast, that is always bad <laughs> news. Uh, I can't say, and you know, being in from the radio standpoint, you know, the TV people, they can just send it back to the studios. Uh, us radio people, it becomes rain delay theater. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've compiled some stories that haven't been told from last year, but it's when you kind of start pacing and uh, looking at your little book of, all right, what are we pulling out tonight? By the way, for you doing play-by-play, just just how proud are your parents of you? I, I got to think everybody <laughs> in your family is pretty proud uh, of you breaking this kind of ground that you're doing with the Baltimore Orioles. You know, I, I used to always joke. My dad thought I was the firstborn of two girls. My dad is surrounded by women on all sides. He thought, though, that I was a boy. Um, and obviously I wasn't. And so I always joke, you know, well, I gave him as, as close to that as I could by making sure I worked in sports, but I, it's the fabric of our family. And the thing I think I appreciate the most is just how patient they've been um, in an industry that was really just a wild card for them to experience firsthand with one of their kids. And um, we've, we've really had a lot of fun with it. That was the best moment of my life was finally getting to tell them um, they didn't have to worry about me anymore and the fact that, you know, my, my bills weren't paid and, and I was more or less living in a cardboard box and that I'd actually be able to, to live a, a comfortable life finally. Well, and, and to think about how you're, you're starting this portion of your career through a pandemic and so much of what everybody has to do is call games off monitors, which is so dramatically different than how everybody started in the business and I feel bad for you. That's kind of how you've started. Yeah, you know, I actually had a really good conversation with Jenny Kavnar of Colorado, um, and she shared the same sentiment. And I think some people saw what was going to happen before I did because I hadn't even realized the setbacks we were about to face. And um, I, I will say this. I've adjusted really well to calling the games remotely off of monitors. Now, there are still hiccups every single night that just come from not having the game in front of you in person. Um, but having Oakland come to Baltimore yesterday, that's my first home game I've had on radio all season. So it took me a minute um, to kind of recalibrate. Okay. The game's in front of me. So this is how we can do this now. But 
the the big challenge has just been in the fact that I, I had one day in the clubhouse before the shutdown. So um, a, apart from, you know, over social media or if we have a pregame interview, I haven't really gotten to know our players a fraction as well as I would like to. But they, they've been really gracious with all of the alternate ways that our PR staff has come up with for us just to connect. Um, you know, if we're not giving something special to the fans that they couldn't already find on Twitter, it, it just leaves a lot to be desired in that emotional attachment to a team. All right. I'm going to start out positive with the Orioles. this bullpen is starting to come together. What are you seeing with this bullpen? Obviously we saw last night, uh, they, you know, they shut the A's offense down. Man, the bullpen has been absolutely filthy. I mean, really for the last week or so, but this is also something we saw come together last year uh, when they were finally all clicking together a 0.71 ERA over the last week. Um, this is what they do best in the unique situation. Brandon Hyde actually compared it to the Oakland bullpen was just when you get so many guys who are different from the next man, that's where you get that effectiveness. Because I think everybody has seen the Cesar Valdez story. Now he's got five different changeups and, and Pedro Severino, our catcher doesn't even know which one's coming to the plate. So he calls for a changeup and Valdez determines in his head in the moment, which one he wants to bring home and and everybody else copes with it. But you put him next to a guy like Tanner Scott, who's just blazing fastballs and sliders and it works. Paul Fry and Sean Armstrong, a little bit of a tougher start to the season for them. Of course, Armstrong's adjusting to being a dad, but um, none of these guys have ever expressed that they have faltered in their confidence. And it's been such a key word for this team in really seeing the Orioles transform some rule five, some lesser known guys into being these everyday standout players. It literally just comes down to the fact that Brandon Hyde, after every game, has had these reinforcing conversations of, hey, this outing's put behind us. This is what we're going to focus on next. And we move from there. Yeah, that's so tough for for Brandon and any manager that's in a rebuild is that you really are a teacher. I mean, you're really teaching the game. You're teaching the fundamentals. You have players that may not be long-term guys, but you got to try and win with them now. You know that the front office is in rebuild mode, and they're they're thinking about draft picks. I mean, uh, uh, Brandon Hyde, it, it's a tough job to be a manager during a rebuild. You've been around it. Talk about that. Yeah, and the thing is, too, is it's not just that, you know, some of these are rule fives and, and different acquirements, just like Freddie Galvis and Michael Franco. It's a young team. It's the third youngest team in Major League Baseball. Um, some of these rookies never played in front of fans last year, and that was a big discussion with Hyde this year was how are they going to adjust, especially in the AL East. Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park are not friendly to the visitors. Um, and, and so Hyde has really had his work cut out with him just keeping a positive vibe and moving the guys along. And I think the moment that still stands out to me the most as Hyde has really started to find a rhythm with this crew um, is just the the humility of the fact that he is there for them on a human level before an athletic level. Uh, And he he broke down last year when the team was on the road in Tampa Bay and they decided not to play that day in in wake of some of the unrest around the country. And um, it, it broke him seeing some of the stories from guys like our outfielder, Cedric Mullins, who, we're speaking up and, and sharing what their life experiences were like. And I think he just realized he has such a bigger purpose, but you know, he was battling that. He, he had a star player with Mancini who had cancer. He was separated from his wife and kids who were in Chicago due to COVID. And, and so it's just, I've built so much more respect and empathy. I, I think for the role a manager has, because 
it's so much more than just the numbers on the field. It's being able to buoy young guys when you know they're not going to come out and win every game. You know, I'm so glad you brought up Trey Mancini. You know, he's been on our program before. You know, before COVID, we actually did this show on the field. And so Trey came out in his uniform, and we had him on the program. And he, he's such a, a fine young man. And to know what he's been through, what he's battled through, and, you know, watching him leg out a hit yesterday, you're just so happy for him, knowing that what – I mean, I can't imagine – at his age, having colon cancer as a professional athlete, just what, what has that been like in Baltimore, seeing him come back? I mean, it's been remarkable, first and foremost. And I do think there is some credibility to the fact that the Mancini family dealt with that when his own father um, battled successfully against colon cancer as well. And you don't wish that on anybody. Um, but he also, you know, he was best friends with Mo Gabba, who was just our super fan. And he unfortunately passed away. But that was really a moment for Trey that Mo, this, you know, child, would call him and check on him and was so concerned about Trey's colon cancer while he's battling so many more demons than any of us have ever had to. Um, and, and it stuck with him. And it was really fun just to see how he was handling his time at home while he was fighting and while he was rehabilitating. He, he was locked in every step of the way. And uh, something that every single guy from the clubhouse has said about Trey is it's not even what he did on the field. It, it's just the personality and, and what he brought into that clubhouse on a day-to-day -day basis, that's what they missed the most, was just this guy who was an all-out competitor. And I think you're seeing that right now, and that's something that I've been really vocal about reminding fans of, is he's always been gracious, and he's always been so grateful and overwhelmed by the support and the love in his return to baseball. Um, but he's a guy who has struggled with losing since he was a kid playing board games. He hates losing. And so feeling the pressure, feeling this national attention, of his storyline this year and that he is one of the best comeback players of 2021. Um, it, it just magnifies it more every time he has a strikeout. He does look like he's come into a little bit more of himself, especially after the road trip to Texas and Miami before the series against the A's. Um, he seems a little more loose. He's not as uptight at the plate. I mean, he was walking up and you could see the tension across his face before the first pitch ever came in, but that's just him. He expects the absolute best of himself. And that spreads to the rest of the team as well. They want to go out and fight because they know everything that he's fought through. And what a what a cool experience just to be able to say that you got to watch and really pay attention to. You know, that leads me to, you know, you talk about the losing. And, you know, we're going to have Cal Ripken Jr. on. And I think about the time that we interviewed Jim Palmer, the Hall of Famer. Uh, we just had Ken Singleton on, who still lives in the area, even though he's a Yankee broadcaster. But obviously, he was one of the great Orioles. There used to be a thing called the Oriole Way. And the Orioles were always, there was legendary battles in the 60s and the 70s, the A's versus the Orioles. And the Orioles were one of the most dominant teams, great pitching. Just how do the fans feel knowing what they used to be and what they are now? I think that is a very unique feature of the Orioles fan base and something that I've really come to love is just the blue collar realness and expectations of this team. Yes, they absolutely want them to win. They will voice their opinions on that. They will not hold anything back, but they are understanding and educated enough to also know the ebbs and flows of any baseball team. It's not like a rebuilding year. It's just this one exception to Baltimore. It happens to everyone. 
Um, and, and so I think they've seen that. You do start to see some restlessness from the fans, like, all right, well, now, now when is the rebuild over? But the fact that they grasp that and they're still walking away, I see the comments all the time of, well, you know, this wasn't great, but man, like, how about that bullpen or, you know, Galvis was able to, to drive in two more. Franco had another home run. And um, it's not putting on rose-colored glasses. It's just being aware and understanding of the current situation that you're in. And they have been locked in like that from day one. And I got to tell you, if you're talking to Cal later, um, Ryan Ripken knocked two doubles in their alternate game yesterday. So there, there's a little bragging point for you. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. Hey, listen. I, I yeah, haven't been to Baltimore. I, I like the Orioles, but just not for the next two days. Just, just let, let our winning streak <laughs> keep rolling before we have to go down to Tampa. Uh, see, that's the thing. The Orioles have busted three of four double-digit win streaks that they've seen before. So, uh, I don't know. LeBlanc is getting the start today. He's a crafty guy. It's his first start of the year. It's, it's going to be a show. So three different times the Orioles have taken down a team that has a double-digit winning streak? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's like, well, why are you telling me that? <laughs> it's the facts. I got to give you the facts. <laughs> oh, man. All right, all right. Hey, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. You have a great call tonight and a great series, and we'll talk to you down the road. Yeah, likewise, Chris. I can't wait. Well, that's going to do it for A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Glenn Kuyper, Sarah Langs, and Melanie Newman. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.